Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Amen. Thank you, sir. Well, good evening. Good to be here again with you all. I bring you greetings from the most beautiful lady in the land um, who is uh, going to meet me again tomorrow. But you know, one thing that Pastor Joaquin was saying, which um, uh, just today I, I, I cried with my wife on the phone. Guys, ever do that on the phone? You just, she says something, just, you know, tears your heart and you cry. And um, she's writing with our youngest daughter, Janelle, getting her settled in Bible school up in Birmingham. And um, she's looking for a car uh, for our daughter. And so um, she met this man at the, uh, the used car point uh, or place. And um, this is so, I mean, I may choke up again, who knows. But this man, you know, he says, you know, you're you missionaries. And he says, you know what, you, you like the military. He says, when they come back from, you know, uh, the war and all that, we, we, we salute them. You know, you are heroes. And and uh, we give them the best seat in the airplane, and, you know, we, we shake their hands, and we honor them. He says, you know, you do the same thing up for a country, but for God's kingdom. And, and he was tearing up while he was saying this to her, and, and Sandy calls me, she says, I have never been so honored in my life. And say so it was just wonderful to see the respect to the Lord of what is just an obedience to a call that God has placed upon our lives. And so I want to, you know, give a really a, a heartfelt thank you to your pastor and uh, Ms. Yvette because they have, and the team here, but they have showed friendship, they have showed honor, they have invested, um, they have gotten down in the trenches with us, and um, that is something not everyone does. Uh, there's many that give you a pat on the back, there's many that say, yeah, man, go. <laughs> they may even give you a prophecy or a check, but there's not many that get down in the trenches with you and cry with you and pray with you and, and fight the fight of faith with you. And um, thank you so much, sir. It's been just awesome. You both, we love you so much. I want to just give you a, a quick, if I may, a quick uh, presentation, about five minutes of uh, what we do in Europe and kind of all the different things that we've done. So, Let's let me look at behind me. Uh, you see Europe, an old map there. Um, we are missionaries to Europe. Even though I'm from that continent, I was gone for almost 25 years, and so I feel like a missionary back in our home country. But all of Europe has about 750 million people. Uh, 1% is actually born-again believers. Switzerland itself has about 72,000 Christians. You and I know that there are some stadiums in this country, maybe even in the state, that can seat that many people easily. We have been able in the last decade uh, establish relationship in every European nation, and I feel that the, uh, the playing field is set now to start doing something in the second decade. Let's go to the next slide. We have, as a base, we have um, Powerhouse International Church. Uh, you see that's our first group we baptized up there and in Lake Zurich, Lake Zurich right down beneath. Um, you see the big church with the two steeples. That's where Zwingli um, launched the Reformation. A uh, very powerful move that, um, that has impacted, again, the world. Um, on the side, you see the divorce rate, suicide rate, and psychological help. Every fifth Swiss has to see a psychologist in his lifetime because of complete burnout. Suicide rate is one of the highest in Europe, and our divorce rate also oftentimes leads or is in the top three when it comes to Europe. Let's go on the next slide. What we've also done is we've began to resource some pastors and Christians and, and just you see a few of the books that we are busy working with or, or have done already. Um, of course, your pastor's book. And then we've got um, the curriculum of Edwin Lewis Cole, um, Gary Simons on about God's church design, The Blessed Life. How many of you enjoyed The Blessed Life when you went through it? So that's a, a great tool. Um, 
Sex Experiment, a book on just marriage and intimacy, uh, Marriage on the Rock, another great resource for marriages, and then, of course, Today Matters, which is one of um, John Maxwell's books, and we have done all of his equipped books into not just German, but a bunch of different languages. So let's go on to the next slide. Uh, one of our projects from the church also is the Moldova Project, which is a transition house, and you see it bottom right. We built that house um, actually, in a time of famine, we built a house. It was amazing. And Pastor knows our situation in the church. We've gone through a very difficult time. Uh, sometimes up to 93% of the income went to rent. Uh, so you can tell with that it's not very much fun having a church when all you do is, you know, pay rent. So, but that transition house can house 16 girls. We have, I think, 10 in there right now. And the next three or four months, we're going to add six more. And um, on the very top right, you see a picture of a bunch of girls and boys. The reason why they're in, in their underwear is because they were about to go to sleep, and it was very hot. The, this picture was taken last month. I was down there in uh, Moldova. The very south point of Moldova is a county or an area. Uh, it's called Transnistria. Transnistria was taken over by the Russians in about 2001 and is completely occupied by the Russians, uh, even though it belongs to the borders of Moldova. And uh, the UN and all those people are still working with that. But that country, uh, that country, that's, that little county, when you, when you drive in there, it's got KGB hats, I mean, Russian soldiers, Russian tanks. In that country, that's where all the arms deals are made, you know, and that's where all the illegal stuff happens. It basically is run by the Russian mafia. And in that country, there's eight in that country, in that little county, there's eight different orphanages, about 350 to 500 kids each. That's one of them. And here's the sad thing. There's no paperwork. Those kids do not exist. Now, when it comes to human trafficking and, 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 and slave trading in a modern day today, um, that's what happens. They just take some of those kids and they use them. And 78% goes to sexual exploitation. They just get traded. They get sold on an auction block with the number on the side. And they start bidding on them. They sell them off. And um, they service, you know, of course, uh, uh, a purpose that is just outrageous. And I'm not going to go into details because there are some younger ears amongst us. This little lady over here, her name is Julia. Julia, you see her also on the very top there. For the first time, she's in a new house. For the first time, she's actually going to be in a room with two other people, with one other, other girl right now. And um, she has never had that because she was raised up in an orphanage where there's 40, 50 beds in a room. And um, so she is 17 years old. She gave a life to the Lord about a year ago. And what was very sad with her is that she's not a complete orphan. It means she, does, she has parents, although the father completely abandoned her when she was about two. They don't know where he's at. Her mom, being a complete alcoholic, has gone through a bunch of men. She's been abused over and over again. Finally, the state took her out of the home and put her into an orphanage um, when she was still very small. Julia tried five times to commit suicide. Twice, she slit her wrists. Twice she hung herself, and then one time she took 52 pills. And then she got saved. And since then, she loves life, she loves the Lord, and she's completely, completely healed from all that. The reason we call it Transition House, because they transitioned from a school orphanage to a higher school, or basically a vocational school where they can learn a trade, but still a state orphanage. In that transition time, that is the most vulnerable time for the traffickers to come in and take them. And so, because only 1% of these girls are ever rescued, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands taken, only 1% is rescued. That means we're going to work harder on the prevention side than actually the restoration side. And that's why we call it Transition House, because we give them a home with a Christian family in there that actually helps them and loves them, leads them to the Lord. And that's where we send teams in. We send teams of ladies 
teenage girls to go in there and to have conversation with them, to teach them a skill. Sometimes it's about, you know, maybe makeup or it's about English second language, all these different things we help them with to build them up so they can have the value and the strength of who they are in Christ and be a blessing to their nation rather than being taken away out of their nation. The biggest income that the country of Moldova has is all of the Moldovians outside Moldova who are sending money back in for their families. That's the country's biggest income. Now, you can get a picture of that economy. It's completely destroyed. Let's go on to the next one. So we do that from the church. Um, another thing we do is we started about three, four years ago is Europe Advance. It's a church planting group um, that I've launched with a bunch of other pastors. That's our most recent church plant up there. It is a church up in Freiburg called Watermark. Uh, so we have seven existing churches. There's five new church uh, are planned to be planted right now. I think last year with all these different network churches that we started, I think we have about over 500 salvations just in, in last year in Europe, which is a wonderful thing. All right, let's move on. The leadership development that we do um, with Equip, some of you know that I'm John Maxwell's senior partner for Europe. It's a blessing to have that partnership. It gives us influence and materials to train leaders all around Europe. And to date, we have trained 92,000 Christians in all of Europe in John Maxwell's material. And that's actually more than 11 countries, but I'm responsible for 11 countries in Europe with that. All right, let's move on. Then we disciple men. As you know, um, Ed Cole was uh, a spiritual father to me, and Jack King is a great friend. I'm his um, European director. And so we commission men in Switzerland, in South Africa, in Germany, in England, and recently also in Dubai. We've expanded. So uh, it's going forth into all these different nations, and it's great. Most of you men have gone through it or are in it right now, and what a blessing to be able to do that also. Let's move on. Family seminars, marriage, parenting, pre-marriage, all these things we do. There she is, the most gorgeous lady on the planet, Sandy. Let's move on. God's blessed us with a great influence also. You can get plugged in. There's different opportunities, of course, that we also make available. Any more slides, one more? Yes, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, different things. And just a great thank you also for partnering with us in this great effort. All right. Well, I do have a message tonight that has been on my heart, and um, I want to talk to you about uh, your destiny. Um, I think we all have a dream. I think God gives us a dream. And going from dream to destiny, um, there is a, a, a tremendous journey that is that. And once we begin to realize what our purpose in life is, you know, we can realize that and we can go forward and move on. And what I want you to listen first is a story, an incident. Uh, some of you know we became grandparents recently, uh, last year. And uh, little Madison, you see her behind me. Uh, she's a beautiful little girl. And so, of course, we were overjoyed, like most of you, you know, when you have a baby. And what happened is we shortly found out about three months into um, her life that she was acting strange on her right side of the body, uh, that she was not moving some of the arms and legs the way she should have. And so we realized a few things uh, with her eyesight. And, and so we said, well, let's go ahead and get her checked out. And so when the doctor and they did the whole thing, I mean, they put her in the tube, they, you know, uh, electro, whatever else, and all, all these terms. But they found out that um, Madison had a stroke in her mother's tummy and that she then, uh, because of that stroke, that most of her left brain is dead. So that means that all the left brain information that is, that is available in the brain to move the right side of the body is not happening. And so the brain, in a most powerful way that God made this, actually starts looking for the information somewhere else. And uh, the best thing could ever happen to her is that it happens so early. If it happens in when she's five years old or even 10 years old, then the recovery is a lot more stronger, a lot more difficult, I mean. And uh, to have a complete recovery is, ev is even, you know, more of a miracle. So because it happened so early in her life, 
um, she had to uh, start doing therapy. And we begin to realize that this is going to be something that's a daily, daily thing. And so Jessica and Jerry, Jessica, my daughter, her husband, um, have uh, just been amazing in faith and standing in faith and believing. The whole family is involved. And um, what initially the report was, you know, that she will not be able to move her right side at all. Um, I can be here to tell you that she crawls that she can actually pull herself up and stand, that she can say words that you tell her, she can repeat. Um, she can recognize, you know, she can uh, fi figure out a joke. Uh, I mean, all these different things, you know, that the left brain provides, which she really shouldn't really have, she has. And so there's one specialist that we actually had come in from Israel um, said that by the time she is five years old. She'll probably be just like any other child. And amen. What a joy. What an absolute joy. But what I want you to realize with the story is that, you know, it didn't look like she had a destiny. It didn't look like that there was any purpose for her life. It didn't look like that she's going to be, you know, this great evangelist or do some great things for God. It looked like that she's going to have to be under our care for a long, long, long time. And the future was not very rosy. The future was not very bright. The doctors don't give you, you know, all the faith report. They kind of give you the hard facts. In fact, when we were in that dark room after she went through the, uh, what do you call those tunnel things? Yes, that one. Um, we, we saw the big, you know, uh, pictures of her brain and all that. And, and uh, he, he was a young guy and very insensitive. And we sat there, of course, because for this is now the first time you can have a look at her brain. And uh, he says, oh, this is dead, this is dead, this is dead, this, is, this whole thing is dead. Um, so I said, um, what do you mean dead? He goes, dead tissue, dead, just dead. And I mean, for us, it was like a... Just, a, just a, a, a lie and a stab from the enemy. And so we walked out of that place, you know, not quite thinking, uh, not, not quite knowing what to think. Like, wow. I mean, and we went to realize, okay, um, you have to make a conscious decision that we're going to repel the report of the enemy, and we are going to repeat the report of the Lord. And we're going to start speaking those things that God says. And so... What I want you to, to hear as we go through some of these things is in the life of Joseph. In Genesis, you can read most of this, and I'm not going to go into all the different details, and we'll hit a bunch of scriptures, but I want to hit a few points in his life, and towards the end of his life, um, actually, excuse me, towards the end of the testing season, and he went through a pride test, a pit test, and you all know, that, of course, the palace test when he was there, and, and to see can he really steward somebody else's wealth and, and be faithful over his gifting and the purity test and the prison test and all these different tests that you can go and see in his life that he really went through with flying colors. I mean, he passed them all, and he changed his heart, and he began to pursue his destiny. And one of the ways that I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you can see the way you can stick it out and go on to your destiny and continue to do the right thing is when you just practice your gifting. When you keep doing what God's told you to do, and God's given each one of you gifts and talents, and keep practicing those will take you to where you need to go. At the very end is what I would call the purpose test. That's when he had to begin to realize, what is the purpose of my life? In Genesis chapter 45 and verse 3 to verse 8, not sure if we have this up yet, but in, in Genesis chapter 45, he for the first time is confronted with his brothers where he talks with them, and he says this to them. He says there that God has sent me. You did not send me here. God has sent me here. Now, if you know the story, you all know that he was sold into slavery. He was, you know, left for dead. I mean, his brothers did not show kindness to him. His brothers did not show brotherly love to him, right? I mean, they, they actually wanted to kill him. And they, you know, had some mercy on him and said, no, no, we're just going to go ahead and sell him off. Genesis 45, verse 3 through 8, 3 until 8. So Joseph, 39 years old, finally realizes that God has a purpose for his life. 
and finally realizes that here he is after all that he's gone through from the day God's given him a dream all the way down to this very end, and he's been through hell and back, and he begins to realize that there is a plan for my life, that God actually has a destiny. The first thing I want you to realize is that you need to believe that you have a purpose in life. You've got to believe this. You've got to settle it once and forever that there is a purpose for your life. And it's not that you were born and then God says, oh, okay, um, hmm, man, what should we do with her now? Uh, let me see. Uh, let's go find something to do for her. No, he already had before the foundations of the earth a plan, a purpose, and then he made you to be born at the right time with the right parents so you can go through the right life and preparation to fulfill that plan and that purpose. You are no accident. Even though the enemy may lie to you and tell you that you were an accident, that you were a mistake, you were not a mistake. You may, may not have been planned by your parents, but you are not a mistake in heaven. God never does anything without a purpose. Listen to me. It is an impossibility. It is impossible for God to do something without a purpose. In Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1, it says, To everything there is a season and a purpose. There is a purpose for everything that God does. And the best way to discover your purpose is to look at how God made you. You are unique. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am unique. Tell your neighbor. I tell the other neighbor, thank God you're unique. <laughs> you know, if I would have a plunger here, and I almost brought one from the hotel, but if I would have a plunger here, and the plunger is, you know, go to the bathroom and you unplunge or un, whatever you call that. And a plunger, if you look at that, it's a weird-looking little, you know, tool thing. It's got a stick with this funny cup at the bottom. It's all rubber. And I mean, you can think, well, maybe this is for cookie cutting, you know, maybe just make little cookies. And, or maybe it's um, turn it around and, you know, it's a special cup we can toast. Um, I mean, if you would take that into the Amazon jungle and give it to somebody who's never seen a toilet before, what would they do with that plunger? They may have a lot more use for it than you and I have for it, Right? But there is a purpose. There is a purpose for a plunger. It's been created so weird looking because it fulfills one unique purpose. And you and I know that you may not use it every day, but when you do have to use it, thank God there's plungers. Right? Very valuable. So designer God had a unique purpose in mind when he made you. And you may be a plunger for God. I don't know. But <laughs> to unblock some spiritual things in this world and let the power of God flow when the miracles of God flow through your life. Amen? The question, of course, is what do you look like spiritually? What, what is it that, that God has made you to be? What purpose are you going to go ahead and fulfill in your life? There is a purpose. And one of the ways or one of the places that you've got to come to is at the end of yourself to begin to realize what he has for you. I was 22 years old, and the love of my life at that time, my high school sweetheart, broke up with me. We've been together for about 10 years. We've even lived together for about six months. Because I, I was hoping that, you know, getting real close to her and, and will we'll make her even, you know, love me more and, and, and stick with me and, and, and accept Jesus and, and all that. So my plan, not his plan, my plan. One of those things when I say, you know, God, here's my plan. Please bless it. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And so she pulled a plug. She says, I'm over. And it's done. My, my world collapsed. It was the best thing ever happened in my life. I met her later on, years later. She's still single, lived with a bunch of guys. To this day, she's still single, never married. 
And I say, thank the Lord. I never married her. I'd be divorced, I know for sure, if I would have been staying with her. So praise the Lord. The next thing I want you to see, or the second point I want you to understand, is that God is in control. God has a path for you to walk on. And on that path is safety. In Europe, if you would come to Switzerland and we go up into the mountains and we would go and, and, and do some hiking in the Alps, sometimes there's a very narrow, maybe as narrow as these steps, um, when you walk on top of the mountain, uh, what's it call that, on the, the mountain line, um, Range, exactly. And, and it goes down here and, and it drops down that side and you're going to stay on this path. But if you stay on the path, you'll get to where you need to go. And the same thing in life, that if you don't stay on the path that God has for you, you're going to be in trouble. There is a path. There is a way that he has for you. There's a, there's a plan, a roadmap out for you to help you. Remember he said, Joseph said there, God sent me. Not you, but God sent me. There is a God sent road. Joseph is talking to the same brothers that sold him into slavery, and he says, God sent me. He would have had all the reason to say, emotionally speaking, all the reason to say, you know what? It's all your fault. You guys. It's because of you that I'm here. Let's get even. And he had the power to get even, but yet he restrained from that. You know, when I say God's in control, that means... Nobody except you can derail yourself from that path. Nobody except you can step off the path. In Romans 8 and verse 28, it says, All things work together for good according to His purpose. You want things to work out for good? Follow His purpose for your life. You know what I see with, with, with Joseph? And this is a great place, uh, a great thing to copy and model after him. He had all the reason to be upset. He had all the reason to hate them. He had all the reason to really think bad about them. But he got over it. And when you love the purpose of God more than you love what people have done to you or not done to you or, or your own feelings, your own emotions, when you start loving God more than all the other stuff in your life, you will be able to forgive easily. Because you realize, if I don't, if I hold on to these things, what's going to happen? It's going to weigh you down. And it's going to infect you and it's going to take you off that path. He said, but Desmond, you don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand what I've been through. I know what you've been through. You've been through the gates of salvation. So my word for some of you tonight is, get over it. Yeah, but it hurt. I know it hurts. How'd you get over it? You make a decision, and you repeat the decision every morning when you get up. Amen? Amen. Last two years, I've had good friends of mine leave the church and say bad things about us. People that, you know, we were close to, and they hurt. And those words hurt. But you know what? I had to get over it because there's a purpose and a path to go along. Amen? (laughs) You cannot afford to go down that way. Isaiah 55 and verse 10, verse 11, remember that? Where it says that God has spoken a word and that word will not return void, but it will accomplish those things that it's been sent to do. It will not come back empty-handed. Well, God has spoken a word over you. When he says, I sent my word Jesus the Word, and He healed, guess what? You are also a sent Word. He also spoke you into existence, and you were conceived, and you were birthed. And that Word, you, is not going to return void, but will accomplish that which has been sent to do. You have been a sent. You are a sent one to go ahead and fulfill His purpose on the earth. So stop believing that you'll be not able to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Stop. Stop believing that and believe there is a purpose. You may not know the details, but there is. Because God does nothing without a purpose. Now, number three, discover your gift and it'll help you in your direction. 
What are you gifted at? What are you good at? Over in Romans, 20, uh, in Romans 12 and verse 4 through 8, the Bible talks about these different giftings that He's placed in each one of us. And you may not have all of them, but you've got some of these gifts in your life, in your heart. These are part of you, the way God made you. It's part of the way you are wired. You know, there's the motivational gift. That means you're a motivator. That means when, when, when you're around people, you cannot help but encourage people and motivate people. You know some of those people? They, you love being around them because whenever you're around them, they just encourage you. They build you up. They lift you up. They'll talk good about you. Hey, it's not that bad. It'll be better tomorrow. Just stay with it. I love those people. Those are motivators. There's also the servant gift. Servant gift is, you know, you may be invited for dinner. What happens at the end? You stand up and you start clearing off all the dishes and go wash the dishes. No, no, sit down, sit down. But they cannot help themselves. They serve. It's who they are. It's their gifting. They are servants at heart. They call to do that. Teachers. It's amazing. You have lunch with them, and they'll teach the menu to you. They'll give you the recipe, and this is good, and if you feel this way, this will be good. And, you know, and, I mean, they'll, they'll just go ahead and they'll explain things with five, six different words when the first one would have said it. They're teachers at heart. The encourager, the giver. The giver, they see a need. If they haven't got it, they'll try and figure out a way to meet that need. I can talk to so-and-so. I can call him, and maybe we can do this project. Maybe we can, you know, they, they will find some kind of a way to give. We have a lady in our church. She is such a giver. I mean, whenever I turn around, she gives us something. My wife has gotten more clothes from her than I think from any other store. And it's not even the right size, but she keeps on giving it anyway because she's the giver. You have the administrator. You know what the administrator is? He comes to your home. He makes sure that the pictures are all straight. He makes sure that, you know, <laughs> starts straightening out your bedroom and your, I mean, your, your living room. And they love organizing. They, they, don't, they don't like seeing a mess. They'll go inside your bathroom. And you know what? If the paper goes this way, they'll change the roll so it goes that way. How do I know those people? How do I know those people? I know those people. I am one of those. I think most of us have a little bit of monk in us. You know who monk is? Just got to touch these little corners here, make sure that they all... You know what? Here's what I did when I was in school. You'll laugh at this. Any teachers here? Okay. Here's so much fun. We had to underline every noun in this little paragraph that we had to copy out from the book. And so looking at this paper and thinking, this doesn't make sense because it's not symmetric. So I began to underline some more words just to make sure that it looks right. That, that's, that's who I was as, as a school, in, as a student. I knew it was wrong, and I knew I'm going to have a lesser grade, but it looked right when I had to have more, you know. That was me. When I met my wife, I had in my closet, from my white shirt to my black shirt, color coordinated all the way down. When I fold my T-shirts and, and my polo shirts, I would have a, a special piece of cardboard that goes in the middle, and you can fold it over it. So when they are stacked, they're all exactly the same. And even from the bottom to the top, different colors. All my socks were here. All my underwear were here. Everything was immaculate. And then, talk about marriage fun, I met my wife, and her thinking, her philosophy was, if the drawer closes... It's okay. Do you know some of those people? Yeah. <laughs> if the drawer will close, it's fine. You know. And for me, it had to be, here's how extreme. I'll give you one more thing. Here's how, how, how extreme I was. When, when I was in the military, in the army, and I knew the next morning we have inspection, I did not want to make my bed in the morning. So I made my bed in the evening. And again, I would have the cardboard thing and I would pull it out slowly. I would even, some, don't tell anybody this, but I would even bite the corners so that it would be perfectly straight. I had a problem, I know. And then I would sleep on the floor so I wouldn't have to mess up the bed. <laughs> We were on our honeymoon. Sandy comes in on the car. This is an old car. But Sandy comes in the car, and she has this little, I don't know what you call them, this little, this little white powder donut things in a plastic tube. 
I mean, they're like highly crumbly and full of powder, and you know, and she's got one in her hand, and the thing is not even open properly. It's ripped on the side of it, so it can fall out. And so she sits in, and I said, "What are you doing?" She goes, "What's your mother doing?" I said, "Why are you eating this in the car?" And she's got, you know, <laughs> she's trying to swallow this dry thing. She says, "Well, I says, you not going to this in the car." And I mean, she's looking at me like, "Who have I married?" <laughs> Is this my life in front of me? Crazy. Anyway, (laughs) we all have giftings. Joseph's gift was leadership. He loved to organize. He loved to plan. He loved to strategize. He loved to have systems in place. He loved to organize, plan ahead. And that gift happened in the pit. It happened in the palace. It happened in the uh, prison. Wherever he was, he exercised that gift. And then at the very end, guess what? That gift, practicing and rehearsing that gift, brought him to the place where he was actually feeding the known world at that time and made sure that the whole world is not going to starve because of practicing his leadership gift in the times when he wasn't popular, in the times when it wasn't, you know, a nice thing to do, but it was just something he knew to do. And so I'm here to tell you, make sure the gifting that God's placed in you, no matter what it is, do it with all of your heart and keep doing it and keep practicing it because your gift will make way, the way, the path, and the purpose. Let me go ahead and give you an example of somebody here that you may know. At the age of 22, he failed in business. At the age of 23, he was defeated running for legislator. At 24, he failed at his second business. At 26, his wife died. At 27, he had a nervous breakdown. And at 29, he was defeated running for Speaker of the House. At 31, he was defeated as elector. At 34, he was defeated for Congress. At 39, he was defeated for Congress the second time. At 46, he was defeated for Senate. At 47, he was defeated for vice president. And at 49, he was defeated for the Senate another time. Now, you would think this guy would get the message. And at 51, he was elected president of the United States. That was Abraham Lincoln. And he went on to abolish slavery in this nation and do some great things for this country. Now, I don't know about you, but just after my second business being failed, I may have said, you know what? <laughs> this is not working out. Or even my whole politics. I mean, he had, what, 29, 31, 43. I mean, his, all his 30s and even his 40s, he kept on being defeated. But he kept with it. He had a dream. I don't know about you, but that inspires me. Abraham and Joseph had setbacks in life, Abraham Lincoln, but they kept putting their gift to work. They kept doing it because it's all they knew to do is to be faithful to the gift that God's placed in them and then just keep doing that. Please, regardless of your setbacks, be faithful to what you know to do. And that's something nobody really has to teach you. It's part of you. It's in you. You have this. You eat, breathe, talk this. It's what motivates you. It's what gets you going. Number four, we've got to be determined that your direction and be faithful. Determine your direction and be faithful. So we've established that God has a purpose and that he has a destiny for our lives. And God's given us gifts. And he also, of course, with that gives us direction in life. And some may be asking, well, is, is it... Is it okay to ask God for some specifics? Sure, you can ask him for some specifics. But you know what? He may not even answer you about that because he just wants you to do what you do. And here's what I've learned. And I've only been around for about 30 years in this thing called ministry. But I've realized often that when I'm in the middle of something and I look back, the questions I had five years ago, I'm living the answer. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the specific details of the future that we want to know that we miss out the whole journey. And if you keep being faithful and keep obeying what God's told you to do and just keep doing that and serving, guess what? You will wake up one morning 
and you will find yourself doing the very detailed that you've asked him a few years ago. Now, God sent him, but it was Joseph's faithful ministry of his gifting and stewarding his gifting that led him to his destiny to make sure that he can help all the nations of the known earth from starvation. Kept on going on, kept on going on. He had some huge setbacks. You know John Wesley, great man of God, one of the old-time reformers? They found his diary after he passed away, and, and um, this is some of the excerpts of his diary. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached in St. Anne's Cathedral, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday night, May 5th, preached at St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached in St. Jude's, and I cannot go back there either. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in the St. Somebody Else's, and deacons held a special meeting and told, him, and told me I could not return. Sunday night, May 19th, preached on the streets and got kicked off the streets. I don't know about you, but this is getting bad for him. Sunday morning, May 26th, preached in the meadow, out in the grass. Chased out of the meadow because a bull got loose during the service. <laughs> Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached at the edge of town and got kicked off the highway. Sunday night, June 2nd, preached in a pasture, an open field. And 10,000 people came out to hear me. Are you realizing what's happening? He could not stop. You, you could not stop him from preaching. You can put a gun to his head and he would still preach. I know a man in the New Testament that will kick him out after being stoned and almost killed and half, left for half dead. And guess what? He stands up. He goes right back in the same place and preaches again the Apostle Paul. Why? Because he had a destiny. He had a purpose. And he knew nothing else to do but to know God, to seek God, to pro proclaim his resurrection. God has a specific purpose for your life. Find out what your gifting is. Find out what you're good at. Find out what you like to do. What do you love to do? What's burning in your heart? What comes almost natural to you? Be faithful in ministering with that gifting and serving with that gifting that you have. And don't ever allow setbacks to stop you from continuing to do that. And if you keep on being faithful, if you keep on doing, you will find yourself fulfilling your destiny probably before you even know it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the plan that you have for our lives. We thank you, Father, for this assembly, for all the different giftings and callings that you have placed within this house. And Father, we realize very somberly and, 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 and with reverence that this is your doing, that you have brought them from the highways and the byways, that you have brought them here in this house for a time such as this, that your purpose individually and corporately will dovetail together and be fulfilled that you can be glorified and that their hearts and their joy can be overflowing with joy. So, Father, we thank you so much for loving us so much and that you have a purpose for us, that you know us in, in, in the intricate details. You even know the hairs upon our head. And, Father, I ask that you would give these wonderful people, eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that will embrace the gift that you've placed within them. That you would give them the tenacity, Lord, to keep on getting up and keep on going, keep on standing up and keep on doing, and not to take no for an answer. These are world changers. These are champions for you. This is the hall of heroes that's being formed right here. And so, Father, we are just honored. We love you even more so knowing this and what you've done in our lives. And we give you all the praise, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Pastor. <clears throat>
Awesome. 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 First that comes to mind is that this world is not worthy of men like Desmond. Not flattery, but a vessel of God pouring out to enrich our lives and to continue on with that, our eyes placed on Christ to fulfill the call. And if you had any sentiments before you heard him speak, I hope you go away today saying, I'm not going to lose my purpose. I'm not going to lose my purpose. I'm going forward. And I know there's going to be setbacks. How many know there's going to be setbacks? You don't have to be surprised. But the setbacks do not change your destiny. And they don't change your course. Because we stand here today, stand to our feet, and ask the musicians to come up, up please. Um, I've met a lot of men over the last 29 years, and I could say that one thing that defines Desmond is a relentless pursuit of the purpose of God. Relentless pursuit of the purpose of God. And so I, I rejoice because as we were growing up in the Lord here with the same desire to find God's purpose, God crossed our paths. And, and we've been able to sit and speak freely on every subject across the board. Um, and it's a man who I really respect to be able to, when you're around a wise man, to shut your mouth and open your ears. Last night we were having dinner and, and he was sharing how we had spoken about what we were sharing at the men's group also was this verse on, I have come to give you life and life in abundance. And carnal people all the time that speak about that are talking about how you're going to have a big house and a big car. And your life of abundance has to do with more for you. Can you come here and explain that real quick? This is the first time I understand this verse now that Jesus says, the enemy has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. The word life in John 10.10 is zoe, which is the essence of the nature of what makes God God who he is. It's the essence of his existence. So he says, if, if you know, that's, that's his life. I've come to give you me. And, and I'm thinking, okay, how can... And this bothered me for, for, for a number of years. I mean, like, like most of us, we we've, we've go through these verses. And I'm thinking, how can the very essence of God be given and then have that more? It's already everything. How can the everything, the all, be more or even abundant? And the Lord spoke to my heart. He says, it is the life of God in me. The only way I can multiply that, the only way I can have the abundance of that is if I give it on, if I pass it on. And if I pass it on to this man and to this woman and to this man, I've, I have life more abundantly. Can you see that? Life and life in abundance. That means you're going to have so much of what God gives you that you pass it on to others. And so all sorts of people have warped this. And I thank God for your life, Desmond. And thank you for coming through Miami and making time for us. And uh, fighting the battles you fought, the front lines, to give an example to our lives. Um, and also partnering with us. Many men are teaching nowadays the church is going to go and dwindle and it's going to what's it called? Fizz out. Like, you know, what happened with the church? Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail.
the church is going to prevail. And the substance of what is in the church is called character. Men who have set their gaze and are not going to turn back. Uh, Sandy is this type of woman. She has set her gaze fast. And um, his children too. His sons and his daughters. He's raised really powerful stock for the kingdom of God. I pray today has been an encouragement to you. And as you were sharing, I did feel that this is a hall for world changers. This is a hall. We're not playing games. We're producing world changers. And those people that are not not interested in changing the world, they're wasting their time here. They're not going to find any entertainment. And I praise God for what he's doing here. As we sing this song, you, um, you consider what, what happened here tonight. 14 years ago, this stuff was just a dream. And God is fulfilling his call on this church. And he's raising up some really powerful sons. So the Bible says, all of creation is yearning to see the sons of God set free in their liberty, in the full expression of God's purpose and character upon the earth. They're going to do great exploits. And at the same time, some of you are called to bless these men that come through here and to be a refreshing to them. And we will not pander to sensationalism, but if you're meant to bless this family and support this family and encourage this family, uh, you're to do so. You're to obey and walk in that in that call. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness in this house. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that we're to continue forward, that we're to perfect our gifts, that that would determine our direction, that we're not to give up, that we're not to turn aside, that we're not to fail in our desire to see your glory manifest here upon the earth through our lives. For this reason, we have come, that you might be glorified upon the earth through our lives. doesn't matter how our mind does not stack up to what your purpose is, but who are we to question you, O oh God? Who are we to ask you questions? You require faithfulness, and then we'll have our answer. You will manifest the why, the what, the where, the who, the when. Give us faithfulness to continue the course and be faithful honoring Christ in all things, Lord. We ask your blessing upon each family here, God, that you would heal the hearts, that you would mend our ways, the offenses, that we would love our purpose greater than the offense of those who cross our path so that we not go astray in the midst of adversity and difficulties in our lives. We give you thanks and we bless your name in the house of the Lord here at night. Amen. Amen. Desmond takes off tomorrow. Um, he's asked us to come back to Switzerland this year.